Good morning, first Sabbath of the new year, 2023. I know it's going to be a year that is full of blessings, even amidst the challenges. And today we start a new journey. We are talking about money management. I know that it's a topic that we often don't like to broach, particularly in churches. We kind of shy away from ideas of stewardship and how we are to invest our money. But the truth of the matter is that throughout the gospel, Jesus talks about money more than most any other subject. And so if it is a priority for Christ's early, earthly ministry, it probably ought to be a priority for us. So we're going to talk about how to manage. We're going to talk about us as a family today. Uh, but before we do that, we're going to have a word of prayer, and then I'll invite my co-host to join us as we chat about money. Father, you are, as our lesson stated, the owner of everything. The earth and all that is in it belongs to you. And you, Lord, do not hoard your wealth. You share it abundantly with us. And Father, sometimes we lose sight that we are mere stewards. And so today we would pray, Lord, that as we have a conversation, may you allow us to be good stewards of your time. May we steward uh, the influence that we have in responsible ways. May we steward this platform in ways that are encouraging and that can be, bring the reality of a grace-filled gospel to our viewers. We thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Joey, we are a week into the new year, and do you make any New Year's resolutions? I usually don't, but this year um, I was inspired by Pastor Phillip's message, mm. um, and he, he talked about focusing on something for the new year, and um, I loved what he had said about gentleness, mm. about gentleness as not just being kind or sweet or passive, but gentleness as as the opposite of anxiety and being that non-anxious presence mm -hmm. in people's lives. And so that's something that I'm trying to focus on and build habits toward is toward gentleness. Mm. Yeah. How about you? Uh, not yet. I haven't really, which means no, I didn't do any. <laughs> Um, I find that uh, my life at, at this particular season is hectic enough, and so it was December 31st, and then it was uh, January 1st, and for me it was Friday and, and Sunday, mm. Friday, Saturday, Sunday. It really didn't feel that much different, yeah. uh, but it's just a season in life, so no, I haven't made any New Year's resolutions, but... I think that's a good thing because usually I'm really bad at keeping my New Year's resolutions. So at least here in a couple of weeks, I won't have to look back and say, oh, I didn't quite live up to that, which I wanted to do. So 2023 is starting off swimmingly well. <laughs> yeah, it's been a um, it's been a interesting season in time for our our church community, for mm -hmm. us um, just you know, New Year is usually a time when we're celebrating newness and hope and, and the future. But we've we've gone through some loss in our community in 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 the past week. And it's yeah, it's just a reminder that even with hope and newness here on earth, there's always going to be some loss and suffering and hurt um, that that we're gonna have to bear until Jesus comes. And so that's the new the new year that I'm looking forward to is mm -hmm. the new year when Jesus comes in and starts a, a time of jubilee for us. That's a wonderful thought. And yes, we, we would be remiss if we don't start by simply offering our condolences yeah. to people in our community that we care about so deeply. Mm -hmm. um, I know, for example, our uh, broadcast partners, LLBN, through which many of you are watching, and one of our beloved board members and longtime members of this community, uh, the Hodgkin family, who have been just the picture of grace. And I know for us, they've, they've shown so much care locally to our pastoral team as they've allowed us to utilize their home even yeah. uh, to have some retreats. And uh, Steve, who was just a gentleman yeah. that had the essence, truly the essence of Jesus, 
uh, is now resting in him. So for the Hodgkin family, Georgia, who's longtime professor here, uh, longtime elder, uh, and Sheila, who's uh, just the picture of grace and uh, Christ-centeredness, we, we think about you. And I think, Joey, that talking about, about some of that loss in our community, not only uh, the Hodgkins, but uh, the Mirasol family, Art Mirasol, who was just so instrumental um, to our junior high ministries. Yeah. And uh, I, I don't know how, I don't know how we're going to eat corn dogs mm. um, without art there. Uh, yeah. Just in, in that, in that, uh, in that car, just smiling and, and serving and just so instrumental to our church. So for the Hodgkins, for the Mirasols, and for all those other families, Joey, mm -hmm. that we don't know about that have started uh, the new year in a season of grief, uh, just know that we know and we mourn with you as best we can, but more importantly, as you said, I think so aptly, we wait for the for the morning when, when Christ will call Amen. through that clarion trumpet and call us to the year of jubilee yeah. so thank you thank you for mentioning yeah i just want to say a word about art we're we have communion we always celebrate the first com first sabbath of the year with communion and art and karen were always almost always there um at serving as elders for our at the communion table and it's gonna um it's it's gonna be a a hard thing not to to see him sitting there with us yeah yeah yeah, just sobering. But in both those cases, um, in both those cases, and I think in so many other cases, Joey, where we have the opportunity either to know or some of us even to journey closely uh, with families that are going through grief. Our senior pastor has spent so much time uh, journeying with the Hodgkin family. I know Pastor Doug uh, same with the Mirsel family. And for us pastors, that's, I think, the greatest honor that we can have. Yeah. But, you know, just thinking about these two men, um, what, what really comes to mind is the legacy they leave with their families mm -hmm. and how that legacy is connecting a little bit with what the lesson is trying to point us towards, mm -hmm. how those legacies are built through proper stewardship of the most important mm -hmm. gift that God has given us, which is which is your time. These two men were deeply loved by their community. They were successful. They were involved. They were busy. But more importantly, they knew what mattered mm -hmm. most. And so they were, they were, I think, examples of proper stewardship of time uh, when it comes to being sons and daughters of God. That's that's a great that's a great point, and I I loved how the lesson I mean this first lesson began. Uh, we're talking about stewardship for the whole quarter, but we began with the fact that we are part of God's mm -hmm. family, right? That we are, like you said, sons and daughters of God, and I think that is an important place to begin when we when we talk about stewards. We're not just hired hands. Mm -hmm. We're not like business managers of God's wealth or God's resources. We are we are his children, and as his children, we have rights to the to to the world, but we also have responsibilities mm -hmm. as well, right? And so it's that balance of rights and responsibilities that we're going to be journeying through throughout this quarter together. But as you said, it's so important, Joey, to start with the premise that we are God's family, mm -hmm. uh, because that shifts the way we view stewardship as a whole, whether it's of our resources, our time our talents, our uh, experiences, our investments, whatever it is that we're trying to steward, mm -hmm. uh, it's much different when you are contributing to your family pot rather than you're working for somebody else. I know, for example, every time we take a vacation, um, my kids uh, get money from their aunts and their uncles and their uh, family, and they bring it to the vacation. And we, we have this, this little tradition where uh, they have to contribute to the family pot. So mm. in the vacation, 
we, we have an activity or a meal that they want to eat, and they use some of those resources wow. in order to facilitate that experience or that meal. And it really does make a difference. For There is no complaining. There is no closed closed fistness mm -hmm. because they feel like this is a communal pond and these resources are, are, are ours as part of a family. And so just the dynamic uh, of viewing each other as part of a body of believers that are sons and daughters of God is, I think, it's really important when we're having any type of conversation on stewardship. Yeah, that's a good point because it is different when when you view yourself as a co-owner of something, mm -hmm. right? Rather than someone who's just renting something out or just borrowing something, there is there is a, a sense of ownership. There's such a sense of responsibility, sense of care, right? Um, how I treat my hotel room is probably a little bit different <laughs> than how I treat my home, right? Um, and so there is there is uh, that that how I drive a rental car is probably a little bit different than how I drive my own car. And, you know, if, if the car breaks down, then I, it's the responsibility of the rental car company to take care of it. Whereas if my car breaks down, I have that responsibility and ownership mm -hmm. to care for it. And so I think that seeing these resources, um, an ownership of these resources is very crucial. At the same time, we also know that the resources is, aren't just there for our own benefit. Like you were pointing out, it's a family communal pot. And so if we think of it that way, then we're not only sharing it with God, we're also sharing it with each other, mm -hmm. right? Which is a really powerful dynamic to say that the money, the resources, the wealth, whatever that I have is not just for me and for my family, but for our whole, mm. all of God's children. And what does that look like in how we manage our resources when we realize that we are managers of it but really it's for the benefit of the world it does something different right when you see yourself as part of you like you're talking about a community yeah. a community that is driven by the same purpose and that is moving towards the same goals now i know you and i had have had the opportunity to work in other contexts uh and one of the things that I would that I like to do uh, when I used to lead congregations was to simply talk pretty early on in the year about how our church was leveraging whatever resources uh, we had. And sometimes those there were a lot of resources. Other times they were sparse and scarce. Mm. Uh, but we talked about how that was being done. And we talked about how that was being done because we wanted people to understand that their resources were directly connected to both their purpose and, their, and the purpose that mm. they viewed uh, the church had and the vocation that they saw themselves as possessing as part of this, this broader community. And so I think when you connect stewardship uh, to purpose or to vocation, you are actually asking the question of what are these things that we believe in mm -hmm. and how can you can we contribute to co-partner, like you've been mentioning with God, in bringing these things to fruition? Yeah, I love that. I love the connection you're making um, between stewardship and vocation because that seems to be present from the very beginning as the, as the lesson began mm -hmm. with, um, this idea that humans were given a vocation and a responsibility, uh, and that was a part of their stewardship, right? When we read in Genesis, right at the beginning at the creation account, God entrusts these resources, but not just these res resources to use for themselves, but to care for mm -hmm. and to, to, um, to help um, make the whole world flourish, almost as a continuation of the creation mm -hmm. that, Jesus, that God began at, at the beginning, right? So God creates this world, but he He allows humanity to step in to that role of furthering creation right. and making it fruitful and multiply. Yeah, and the lesson talks, I think, wonderfully about that, per, that passage in Genesis too, right? It says, take care of the earth and fill it with children. Mm -hmm. And so there's there's both, as you're saying, this moment when we are called to protect 
and to preserve creation, but then we're invited to create something new. So it's mm. not just maintaining the status quo, as you're mentioning. True stewardship is about ensuring that the status quo is maintained mm. and is protected, but it's also inviting us to be creative. Mm. And I think that's often what is missed when we have these conversations on stewardship, that very rarely do we get into that creative space. We mm. often talk about how to maintain the status quo. And I, I've thought about many a sermon on stewardship that I've that I've heard. Sometimes I've even preached, where the whole purpose is to maintain the status quo. And what do I mean by that? Well, we we have bills to pay. We have obligations to make to meet. We have uh, missionary uh, and missional pro projects that we want to get involved with, and that's all fine and good. But I think one of the things that we um, need to start doing and speaking about more within within Adventism in generally and uh, within our ministry specifically is how do we invite people to become stewards of those creative visions that God mm -hmm. has given for their lives because we're not only created uh, made to maintain we're also created to be creative. Wow, I love that. We're created to be creative. Like from the very beginning, God gave that creative impulse to humanity, right? So that Adam and Eve are even given the opportunity to, to name the animals, right? Um, which is kind of mind blowing to me. You would think that God would name everything and organize everything. And yet it, mm -hmm. it shows that partnership that God has always wanted to have in, in the furthering of this world with, with humanity. Mm -hmm. God never wanted to do all the work himself. He wanted us to be partners with him in that. And that is just so beautiful. And if we could see, like you said, see the resources that God has given us, not just as maintaining the status quo, but using that creative to say, where are the spaces where God is working and how can we continue to partner with him using that? those resources. So what would that look like for, for those of those people, you know, watching us or, or listening to this, what would that look like to, to step in creatively into those spaces? Well, I'll tell you what it's looked like for us. And you and I can attest to this mm -hmm. very simply. Um, we, for a long, long time, uh, were part uh, and have been the pleasure, uh, have had the privilege of being pastors at, I think, one of the flagship churches in North America. Mm. And so when people think about Loma Linda, uh, they think about uh, beautiful music, right? They think about powerful preaching. They think about worship services that bring you face-to-face with God in very particular, very special ways. Loma Linda is synonymous with uh, the Randy Roberts and the Kimo Smiths and the Graham Maxwells. It's a place where uh, worship was taken truly to, to a new level. Um, and that did wonders, I think, for uh, the population that follows us outside of this local community in Southern California. We are in, then indeed a global church, but we're also called to be a local church. And we found that locally, one of the things that we had been wrestling with was how do we instill in our local congregation this communal sense of partnership that you're talking about? And so it was always this conversation of either or, either we're a broadcast church or we're a local church. Either we focus on wonderful worship or we focus on uh, creative and intentional connection. And we, th we thought we had to make a decision. Mm. And then we, we kind of stepped out on a ledge, right? And I, was, I had just gotten here when we started talking about this building pro uh, project. And it went through many iterations. And finally, the building gets built, this uh, new ministries building that we are sitting in. And that space, this space that we are now sit, uh, sitting in, has fostered ministry in new ways that I couldn't even dream about, mm -hmm. uh, if you asked me five years ago. Uh, to have, for example, uh, a service dedicated to our broadcast audience like, like we are doing now. Uh, to have spaces where these small communal groups meet, and then we get to create content that we can share with uh, other congregations as to how to do these 
closely connected group. So we're we're being global, but we're being global in a different way. Mm. And so I think that's one of the ways in which it looks like. We didn't know. We simply stepped out in mm. faith. And we built this building because we thought we needed more space. And what God said is, no, you need something more than just more space. You need a new vision that will help you to fulfill these two vocations or these two purposes that I've created. I have created you to be a, a congregation with a global impact, but I've also created you to be a local church, a local representation of the body of Christ. And through the inspiration of the Spirit, now I think we're doing both in a way that I've never seen done in my tenure here. Yeah, that's so powerful. Yeah. I mean, it's it's hard to um, overstate how much of an impact this building has had in the ministry of our church. And people can say, well, it's just a building, right? But uh, like our senior pastor likes to say, um, we build our buildings and then our, we form our buildings and then our buildings form us, mm -hmm. right? The, these, this, this space has created a place where community can really happen. And that's, that's been a powerful thing in ways that we can't even, we couldn't even imagine back then. Mm -hmm. But like you said, we stepped out in faith and built the building. And then, and then now the possibilities are so open to so many things, so much so that now we step back and wonder how did we mm -hmm. survive without this? Like, what were we doing before we had this building? It's it's hard to imagine that because because of uh, of that. And and I love how you frame that as allowing creativity to work and utilizing God's resources creatively in in the ways that He's working in the world around us. And what's fascinating about that is when you do that, and when you do that. Uh, as uh, in a partnership with both with God and with your fellow brethren, whether your sisters and your brothers within the body of Christ, stewardship doesn't become a guilt trip. Because so often stewardship is a guilt trip. We we spend so much of our energy and our time and our resources and our thinking process asking and demanding uh, the the money of our of the, of the people we are serving. Mm. And that gets exhausting. It gets exhausting for us. I'm sure it gets exhausting for people that have to listen uh, to another church going through another capital gain campaign. Mm. And what I find fascinating about the experience here at Loma Linda is that I've seen uh, our congregation, both locally and our congregation out there in the digital world, be so open-handed with their giving. Mm. And we don't spend that much time asking or worrying about how these things are going to get paid. Mm. We, we spend more time saying, okay, this is what we believe God is calling us to do. And we're just going to throw a vision out there. And hopefully that vision echoes and stirs something within the hearts of our congregation and then people will say, hey, I want to be a part of that. Mm. Uh, whether it's with the building and Pastor Doug can tell you story after story of people that we don't even know that are contributing in such awe-inspiring ways to the building. Or in this little ministry that we have, Joey, when you and I get a letter with, you know, somebody saying, hey, um, here's... Uh, Here's 15 bucks. We love what you're doing. Yeah. It's not the 15 bucks. It's the fact that we feel that this, this thing that we're doing is echoing and stirring some, something in someone's heart. And it's incredible when you see people just give openly in, in that way. It reminds me a little bit mm. of the invitation in Exodus 25 that God gives to the people to build a sanctuary mm. or the invitation that uh, David makes to the people to build a temple. In mm. both those cases, the offering is voluntary. Mm -hmm. They don't spend time asking and demanding. But by the end, there is so much that the people have given that, that there has to be kind of this moment where uh, the leaders say, stop, get, we, we don't need any more. We're fine. We're good. Please stop giving because wow. you've believed in this mission so much that you've overwhelmed us with your generosity. Yes. And to be honest, um, I feel overwhelmed 
by the generosity of our congregation, both locally and digitally, both financially, but more importantly, in their comments, in the letters they write to us, mm. in the the just these comments that they that they post. I know we received a really nice one this this week. It's just it's really overwhelming. It really is, yeah. Just the like you said, open-handed generosity of of our members and those who believe in the work that God is doing through the Loma Linda University Church. And as pastors, we have the privilege of being part of that, right? And I, I sort of see that as, as how God is framing this, um, the use of our resources, because as pastors, um, we realize very deeply that the resources that, that we are managing and using in creative ways do not belong to us, mm -hmm. right? They are for the ben benefit of the entire community and the entire world. And that gives us a heavy sense of responsibility of how, how these resources and these funds are, are to be used. And so that, that sense of responsibility, and yet there is a freedom and trust that comes along with it to, again, use it in creative ways to see, to discern where God is working, and then to utilize those resources to partner with God to help that, that work creatively flourish. And so all of us, I think, have that responsibility, whether we are, we are ministry leaders in a church or we're the managers of the resources of our own family. I mean, that happens in my family. Um, it just the way that our family is structured, I am the, the money manager in my family. And yet I'm keenly aware just because I manage the money doesn't mean that I that the money belongs mm -hmm. solely to me, right? It's there um, for the shared benefit of the entire family. And so, and really, as, as God is saying, really the benefit of the entire world. Mm. And so it's incumbent on me as the person who's managing it to utilize the resources properly and well so that God's work can flourish mm. elsewhere. That's beautifully said, Joey, and it, it leads us kind of to this to this other idea that I find really moving and stirring, and that is, for there to be uh, faithful stewardship, there needs to be transparency. Mm. And in your family, uh, Sarah and you probably sit together at the beginning of the month. I know Linda is. Uh, the money manager in in my family, and every paycheck, she'll send me a little text, and mm. she'll say, "This is what I've paid," um, and we we sit together. And while she is in charge of uh, kind of knowing the bottom line, there is this shared responsibility mm. of coming coming uh, to a but coming together to form our family budget. Now with our with our kids getting allowances, et cetera, et cetera, they're participating in those conversations. Mm -hmm. And so there is a level of transparency that is required uh, through stewardship because stewardship is all ultimately relational. Mm -hmm. um, I used to begin uh, my my years at at the previous churches by simply stating how those resources that I had been entrusted to manage were being utilized, mm -hmm. and so um, in smaller churches, uh, the tithe that is allocated for a full time pastor is a little over two hundred thousand dollars, and mm -hmm. so not not that we get paid that much, um, <laughs> but. Uh, that was kind of, and so I would explain, this is a lot of, uh, about 70% of those $200,000 are returned to you in, uh, in my salary, in a retirement fund, and educational allowances, whatever it was. And so I said, that is why I serve at your purpose and at your pleasure. Mm -hmm. This is why I, I am... Uh, at your service, because not only am I managing the resources, I am in a very real uh, way be benefiting from those resources. Now, there were years where uh, where my church, uh, particularly when I was working out in a, in districts, we didn't meet that two hundred thousand dollar threshold, mm -hmm. and yet my my salary was still there, mm -hmm. and I often wondered how that was possible. And then I came here, mm -hmm. and. 70% of our uh, tithe is not returned in, the, in, in, uh, in pastor salaries. But a lot of that, of that goes to cover other churches like the ones I served in, uh, 
in order to make sure that the sisterhood of churches, the body of believers, all of us, not the Loma Linda University Church, but all of Adventism in Southeastern California um, is, is funded. And so I think what I, what I took from, from that experience, both serving in small churches and now uh, having the pleasure of being in, in, in a church with a little more resources, is twofold. It is first and foremost, if stewardship is relational, then we need to be transparent. Mm. We need to be clear and, and open. And the second one is, I think, something that you are alluding to, and that is to her or him who much is given to, much is expected. Mm. And so um, whether particularly, uh, whether it's us here at this church um, or maybe our families living in, you know, in America, in a fairly affluent society, um, we are we are given much and we are blessed much. And I think uh, we have this wonderful opportunity then to respond to God's divine expectation with open hands. Yeah, it's so true. It's so true. And it is a pleasure to serve at a church where um, probably the highest percentage of tithe goes elsewhere mm -hmm. to support the work um, that God is doing, um, not just in our local conference, mm -hmm. but all across the North American division and all across the world. And that is a really, that's a privilege to be a part of a church that does that and to be a part of a community that is so generous and open, like you said, open-handed in returning the tithes that God, God has given and also offering additional offerings to continue to support his work here at the local church. That's, that's very powerful. And that's, that's what I see Jesus saying in Matthew chapter six, where he's in the Sermon on the Mount, where he talks about storing your mm -hmm. um, treasures in heaven. In Matthew chapter six, verse 19, he says, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And part of this is this idea of definitely you see this idea of maintenance like you talked about, right? Maintaining the status quo where you, you're protecting the resources. Like where is, I love how my um, teacher used to talk about um, money. He said um, to invest in things that last longer, mm -hmm. right? The, the longer something lasts, the better investment it is, right? Um, there are things that only last a moment, right? You'll eat a piece of candy and that'll last a moment and then it's gone, right? You, there are things that last years, right? Like cars, we'll invest in cars and they'll last for, year, for years, but then they, they depreciate in value. And then there's things that last for a lifetime, right? Like an education is an investment that lasts for a lifetime. Homes last for a lifetime. Um, relationships are are the things then that last beyond this mm -hmm. lifetime, right? And so the, the things that last for an eternity, um, that's what it means to store up treasure in heaven. And I love that mentality. But there's also an idea of more than just storing up. I remember when I was in college, I read a book called The Richest Man in Babylon, mm. which did yes, you ever read that book? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Which I thought was an interesting title for a book that we read at a Christian school <laughs> about mm -hmm. finances, but it was a really great book. But if I were to distill all of it down, it, it basically comes down to this concept that money isn't, isn't there to be used. The goal of money is to make money work for you, mm -hmm. right? The goal of money is not just to spend it, but to make it work for you. Because that's ultimately how you become the richest man in Babylon is if you take your money and then invest it in things that eventually pay you back money. And so the goal is eventually to get to the place where you don't have to work for money, the money will work for you. <laughs> Love that concept. But what Christ seems to be saying is he adds something to that element, that the goal of money is not just to have money work for you, but the goal of money is to have money work good for mm -hmm. you, right? That that the that it is to it is investing in things that will produce not just more money, but also produce good mm -hmm. in this world. That is really the goal of money. And I, how you framed it with with um, with creativity, I, I love that because. God is not just saying, just, just invest in those structures that continue to do good right here, which are important to do, but also to invest it create, creatively, to do, 
to further God's work in, in ways that maybe we have not imagined thus far. And to do it, I think, and that's why I love the, the addendum that you have connected to the statement. Money is not only there to work for you, it's to work good for you. And the mm -hmm. best way that you can, that it will work good for you is if you invest in others. Mm -hmm. um, because a lot of times we believe that the, we live in, and we've, we've grown up in this culture of scarcity. Mm -hmm. And so yeah. because uh, we've grown up in a culture of scarcity, the, this fear that we have that we're going to lose uh, the, these material things that give us security. And by the way, security is important. Providing for your family and your loved ones is important. But when you move through fear, you often find uh, that the way in which you're utilizing your resources is uh, is, is really attempting and, and really... Uh, in stark contrast to these principles that you have. There's a story that came out, a book actually that came out out of, and I was thinking about it uh, as I read the lesson for this week, 2008. And you, you all know uh, what happened in 2008. Uh, some of our friends might remember. Uh, worst financial crisis in, in, a, in the world since the Great Depression of 1929. And Without being an economist, the way that I can distill uh, the reason and the rationale for the crisis was that greed caused uh, primarily banks to write these bad loans uh, for people that wanted to pursue uh, the American dream of home ownership. And they placed them in loans that they couldn't afford. Mm. And then they sold those loans because it was profit over people. Mm. So one of one of the things that comes out of this of this global meltdown is uh, that a lot of these banks that had been kind of stalwarts of uh, America's financial power, Lehman Brothers and others, uh, were, went bankrupt. And one of the most interesting uh, ones was uh, Bernie Madoff's investment brokerage firm. Mm. Now Madoff. Uh, had two uh, in the way uh, he there's this wonderful book called the wizard of lies that looks into madoff's uh career and madoff had kind of a two-pronged business on the one side he had uh this business that uh had to do with uh trading and uh, the way the way it works is he was a, in essence a holding a firm mm -hmm. so you buy and you sell stocks when the in order to hold the market um, and in that he did some great work in 2008 his was the only firm that was still buying stocks when all the other firms were uh, were not answering the phone and that indeed uh, gave him a lot of gravitas in, in financial sectors mm -hmm. because of his perceived honesty. So that was the one prong, the legal prong. But then he had this other kind of murky, shady investment business mm -hmm. where he was an investment manager for a hedge fund that hadn't been registered with the SEC. Mm -hmm. And it, he, in essence, was uh, running this huge pyramid scheme mm -hmm. uh, and lost over a billion dollars doing so. Now, Madoff, uh, the, the ultimate analysis of Madoff's failure, this, this man who loved his family, was a great dad, great husband, mm. uh, was honest in this one sector of life, uh, was, was on the board of his yeshiva and, and his synagogue, was a deeply spiritual man, apparently. Mm. Um, and then there was this other side of him where he was defrauding people of, of their life savings, of their homes, et cetera, et cetera. And the question was, why? And the ultimate analysis is that Madoff pref pre preferred to be a liar than a failure. Mm. And so because he, mm. his view on finances was that the more you accumulated this culture of scarcity, the more you accumulate, yeah. the more you can define yourself as a success. That caused him to act against his principles. And so I think 
what, what we're talking about as faithful stewards is money works for you. Money works good for you. Money works good for you when you invest in others. And maybe we can add one more thing. Money works good for you when you invest in others in line with the principles that God has called you to live out your life with. Wow, that is so powerful. Um, now I, I want to read that book. <laughs> That's fascinating to me. But yeah, this idea that that he was driven, he 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 feared failure more than he fear, feared being seen as a liar. Like that he that 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 he would rather be a liar than a failure. That's um, that is really powerful, um, and and yet. It's because of how he defined mm. success and failure that drove him into that space. And what God seems to be saying is that that ultimately the accumulation of wealth and resources is not the end goal in life, which is why the that's where the richest man in Babylon kind of fails mm-hmm. because the richest man in Babylon is all about, well, how do you accumulate the most wealth? Right. Um, assuming that is the goal. And yet what God is saying is that is not the goal because yeah, it's great that you have these resources to manage, and if you manage them well and 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 work to good, then that's great. But the goal is to do good, not to accumulate wealth, mm. because ultimately, like you said, if the goal is to if we have the scarcity mindset, then we're always constantly trying to get more. I, I remember this at my first church. We we were in um, East LA in Boyle Heights and Skid Row was just mm. a few blocks from where we were. And you're very familiar with that area. And we would go out there and we would, you know, we would do things for uh, the homeless there. We would, we would hand out sandwiches and food and, and socks and things like that. And, and people there would try to grab as much as they could, right? Not necessarily because they needed it, because often I would see a guy walk or walk away with five sandwiches and then eventually just take a bite and then throw away like a whole bunch mm-hmm. of them because he didn't like the sandwich, apparently. But but because when you feel like you're constantly in that scarcity mode, you're just trying to grab as much as you can because you are you have mm. no trust that there's going to yes. be more coming in the yes. future. And yet what God is saying to us, and really powerfully shown on Monday's lesson with these passages, that I am the owner of everything, right? Psalm 50, uh, 10 through 12. For every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains and the insects in the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you for the world is mine and all that is in it. Mm -hmm. Right? God is saying, you don't have to have a scarcity mindset because I own everything and you are my children. Mm. So you own everything. Yes. And But yet that is such a hard shift to come to because as you've powerfully demonstrated, our culture, our society, it has, it breeds this scarcity mindset within us and not the mindset that we are children of God and God owns everything mm-hmm. and he's caring for us. That is a, such a powerful illustration, I think, of the one primary point that the lesson wants to drive through this week. And I hope that you take it home with you. It's really not about Loma Linda University Church asking for your money, although if you do, make sure you remember our little Sabbath school program in there. <laughs> but that's not what it's about, right? When you have a scarce a scarcity mindset, you become like these home like these uh house deprived people mm-hmm. like these people that are food insecure that look at everyone else as a competitor in this rat race to just accumulate more mm-hmm. and what that does is it 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 just forces us to view our siblings as competition mm-hmm. and if you move away from the scarcity mindset you start realizing that you are not my competition. Mm. Uh, Zach behind the camera is not my competition. And you viewing us at home are not our competition. We're all in this together. And so I think that's why the lesson begins by, by just trying to drill this point home to us in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. See what great love the Father has lavished upon us mm. that we should be called children of God. Love, the love of God has allowed us to say, we are not in competition with one another. We are family with one another because 
And because our dad is the owner of everything, more will come. More will come. Yeah. And I love how how um, the lesson talks about what God provides for us. First of all, he provides Jesus, his mm. son, which is the ultimate, the, right. the gift that we just celebrated during Advent season, right? During Christmas, this the, that Jesus came and just in and of itself, if we got nothing else from God, the fact that Jesus came and died and created a path out of this rat race of a world is incredible. But in addition to that, that promise in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, seek first the kingdom, the kingdom. of God. And all these things mm. will be added to you, right? That, that that there is a promise that, not that that we're going to have um, wealth and power and all these things that the world says is important, but that God will take care of us if we prioritize him. And we seek to do the things of the kingdom. We seek to do good with the resources that he gives to yeah. us. That is that is just such a powerful way to, to show and to illustrate how and why God loves us. Now, I know that some of you might be watching us out there and saying, wait a second, I'm working on a fixed income. I don't know how I'm going to pay my rent, or I don't know what's going to happen uh, food-wise in, mm. in my home. And if that's your situation, we've got good news. We care about you, and you are part of our family. And that is why I'm so proud of who we are as a community, Joey. Mm -hmm. I'm so proud of week after week being able to hear stories about how our you reach program Amen. involves itself in the community and says, we know that to, to whom much is given, much is expected from. And so we are happy to share with the same open-handedness the little that we have with you out there. And so I think that's something that that is is kind of one of the core values of our church, this idea of what we have is yours. We seek to serve, uh, we seek to serve you. And the best way we can serve you is by sharing the little bit uh, that we have. Yeah, that's very well said. Because because we are part of the same family, we have a response. And that that is present, that was present in Jewish culture, right? And that came mm -hmm. into early Christian culture, this idea that that those on the margins, those who are, are in the most difficult, challenging times of their lives. And in that society, it was the widows and orphans, mm -hmm. right? Who had nobody, no source of income, no one to care for them. Those were the ones that the community of faith had the responsibility to care for. And we as the community of faith, that's part of our responsibility to care for those that that have are going through the most difficult times of their lives, to step into those spaces. But also to say that, and I hope that this is what we do as we go further into this this um, this quarter is that we that there is this responsibility that we have to manage and invest our resources well so that we can continue to do good mm -hmm. in the world around it. And we'll be talking about that more as we continue um, this quarter. Yeah, that's absolutely. I think one of the things that that we we need to to remind people of uh, you need it. it Stewardship doesn't, because it's relational, it doesn't just require transparency. Mm. It also it also demands responsibility. Yeah. Um, I think one of the things that that most upset me as I was reading as I was reading this Wizard of Lies and and just remembering I was in two thousand eight I was uh, fresh out of college, um, as in my first year of seminary, and. Um, I was working and uh, part time, and then I was I was doing seminary school, uh, and Linda was working as well full time. And then the uh, financial debacle came, and she was laid off, and she went for a couple months without uh, without being able to find a job. Mm. And we we were uh, it was about a year and a half into our marriage, and I felt Joey, I felt like such a failure. Um, I felt like such a failure because uh, I would look at at our bank account and then I would look at um, at our expenses mm -hmm. and there was no way mm -hmm. uh, there was no way we were going to be able to pay rent or food or our uh, car insurance or um, just these basic these basic needs that we had and we 
still, when we, when Linda and I talk about those early years in our marriage, we don't know um, how we made it through. Mm. Uh, I just know that we did. And we don't know how we made it through because I'm sure all the people that helped us don't remind us about how they helped us on a daily basis. Wow. Um, and so I think for me, that that just instilled a sense of responsibility. Yeah. Uh, because I know and, and I've experienced how pe- my parents and my in-laws and people at church and uh, communities of faith and friends, and they were able, they managed their money responsibly. So when we hit that rough patch, mm. they could help us out. And so that really um, is important, right? If, if mm. finances are intended to do good, then finances are something that ought to be responsibly managed. Um, it was really upsetting, again, in 2008, when um, Linda and I were really struggling, and I, I saw uh, bill after bill get passed to bail out the same banks that had mm. created uh, the financial crisis that had put everyone in, in that space. And so I think that's how the world operates. Mm. The world operates on a scarcity model. The world operates on viewing us as competitors. Mm. The economy of the kingdom operates differently. Um, it operates uh, from a vantage point of not scarcity, but fullness, uh, not uh, enmity, but sisterhood and brotherhood. And so I think that ought to be front and center when we're asking how do we responsibly manage our finances. Yeah. To see not this, the resources that God entrusts to us, not at all as ours, but part of, mm-hmm. as you said beautifully, the communal pot. Um, and how can we help the community with what he gives to us? Well, we'll keep talking about this idea. I know some of you... Uh, when you saw the title of this lesson for this quarter, you were like, well, I'll see you guys in three months. But stick with us. We're going to look at stewardship uh, from a different perspective. We're going to try to look at stewardship uh, from a perspective of our resources and then how God asks us to leverage those resources uh, that is in line with a vocation and with our purpose. And again, Joey, as we started by saying, if Jesus talks about money in his gospels a lot, then y'all can hang out with us for 13 weeks. Amen. Amen. Can you pray us out? Yes. Our good and gracious God, we want to thank you, first of all, for making us your children. Um, You didn't have to but you created us to be your children. And even when we rejected you, you you made a way back to be a part of your family once again. And you remind us that as your children, we have access to all the resources that you have. And so we ask that you help us, help us to remember that we don't need to operate with a scarcity mind, mindset, that we can be open-handed and generous because you are open-handed and generous. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. May the God who provides you with grace and mercy and joy allow you this week to live open-handedly. God bless you. We'll see you next Sabbath.